Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Hi, you guys. It's a... How many of you are first-year students? Would you raise your hand? First-year students. How many are second-year students? There we go. Third-year students? Awesome. And then we have our online campus, too, and I'm sure they're raising their hands because we have a lot of online students. I do know uh, right now we're training 3,675 students. I don't know if you knew that. All over the world. 3,675 students are in school right now, in, in Bethel School. Not too bad, right? You, you seem unimpressed. Okay. Well, <laughs> trying to wow you with those big numbers, and you're like, I thought we were training 10,000 or something. I don't know. Anyway, wow. So, really exciting first year, uh, you know, coming back. Got to teach three times last week, and really powerful. My, my grandson, Evan, is in first year school ministry. So, he's my fourth grandchild to go through school ministry. And, uh, and my son, Jason, went through school ministry years ago. But, you know, uh, you could probably understand this. When your kids go through your school ministry and they grow up in your house, there is a little, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I would call it anxiety, but there's something, probably anxiety, yeah. <laughs> you should spiritualize it. Hey, higher, don't get anxious. But I, I'm, I'm like, I, the first day of school ministry, my grandson's in there, and I, I, he's somewhere in the civic. And I remember he's there, and, I, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder how he's doing, and so I get done preaching, and I get in my car, and he's texting me, Papa, that was amazing. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, it was, really? <laughs> and then uh, the third time I spoke, he said, this was like Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, he texted me as I was getting in my car, and he said, Papa, this is amazing. This is changing my life. Wow. Uh, so good, you know. This is the same young man when he was like, I think he's like six years old. I've told this story a few times before, but you know, he, uh, when he was six, well, even now, but when he was six, he's like real entrepreneur. She likes to make money, but he likes to work for his grandma because she pays a lot of money for very little work. <laughs> so anyway, I was going to say something funny, but I'll offend everybody if I do that. So he comes to our house and she's shopping and he, he's like six and he's like, Papa, I, I'd like to make some money. I said, okay. He says, well, Grandma paid me money to, to work. I'm like, yeah, I know how that works. And so uh, it's, it's fall, so there's like two inches of leaves on the deck. And I said, why don't, I, why don't you sweep the deck? He said, all right, I sweep the deck. So I got him a broom. And he's like, no, Grandma, give me the red one. I'm like, all right, 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 the right equipment. So I get him the right equipment and he's sweeping the deck and I go out and I'm cleaning the pool and about maybe two minutes later, he's out there, he's chasing a butterfly. And I said to him, Evan, did you finish sweeping the deck? Because I know that could not be possible. He's like, no, I'd be very tired. I said, Evan, Superman doesn't get tired. He looked right at me and he goes, Superman doesn't sweep leaves. <laughs> On that note, grab a hand, let's pray. Holy Spirit. Thank you that Superman doesn't sweep leaves. We pray, Father, that you would you do what you do when we gather. Lord, I pray for our online campus and people there. I pray for us here. I pray that we would have a deep sense 
of your beautiful presence as we share and teach, laugh and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, last week, I, I had the opportunity to start a series which um, I actually entitled, It's Time to Dream. And it was really out of Psalms 126. I'm going to read you the, uh, a few verses here and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of start from there. In Psalms 126 verse 1 says, When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall harvest with joyful shouting. The one who goes here and there weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a joyful shout, bringing his sheaves with him. And last week we talked about the fact that there is a season that's closing. The season of grief is closing. And there's a season that's opening. And this season, uh, you know, as uh, verse one points out, it says, we were like those who dream. And, we, and we, we talked about the fact that, you know, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, I lay hold of that what was laid hold of for me. And we talked about the fact that it's time to leave the, that, what can I say, COVID, you know, crash behind us and begin to press forward into what the Lord has for us. And you know, Jesus said it this way. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. And so we talked about last week that the Lord is closing a door and he's opening another. Now, I want to be careful here because when we're talking to an entire tribe, an entire movement, I realize that inside of this tribe, inside of this movement, there are many people who are still in places of grieving. Our own family, um, we have uh, Lauren's mom, who's very sick. If she doesn't get a miracle in the next few days, she will likely head for, ho- for heaven. And so we are definitely, as a family, we're in a season of grieving. So when I speak about that we're closing a door to grief, I'm talking about the fellowship that we're in. We're on, we're, we are individually in families and we individually are, have challenges, but how many know that we are together also as a tribe, as a fellowship? And so I'm speaking to us as a tribe, realizing that inside of that tribe, there are people that are still grieving. And our response to, to them and to my own family is that we mourn with people who mourn and we rejoice with people who rejoice. And, and we, we never leave that behind because Jesus put it this way, in the world you'll have tribulation, but behold, I have overcome the world. People ask sometimes like, Bethel doesn't teach much on suffering. I don't think you have to teach on suffering. <laughs> it kind of happens. And, uh, and by the way, the way we depart creates some suffering also. So it's like, I think you have to teach a lot on, behold, I've overcome tribulation. I've overcome the world. I don't think you have to tell people, oh, let's talk about suffering so we could suffer some more. I'm like, oh, I think we, the world pretty much takes care of that. But, um, uh, but I was thinking about this whole thing of dreaming. And I was uh, thinking about Joseph and how Joseph, and I want to entitle this part of the message, Joseph is leaving prison. I want to tell you the story of Joseph. We're going to read uh, a lot of Joseph's story about a chapter, which will take about seven or eight minutes, which we don't really usually read that much uh, in my message at least. But I felt I, I was going to cut, I cut out pieces and I'm like, I just should just read the story. 
But I want to tell you a little bit about Joseph's story because we have a lot of new believers with us now. And often they, they don't know some of these Old Testament, even some of the New Testament stories. Uh, and we, we need to make sure that we, 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 we speak to new believers as we have so many new believers. Joseph, there's a Joseph in the New Testament and Joseph and Mary, but there's also Joseph of the Old Testament, a different man in the Old Testament. Joseph was one of 11 kids. He was eventually one of 12 kids. The story I'm going to tell you, at this point, he has 10 brothers. And Joseph is, um, Joseph, his father is Jacob, whose later name changed to Israel. And Joseph is a, uh, He's the youngest of 11. He's the youngest of 11 brothers. And he, uh, he is uh, quite cocky. And on top of that, his father favors him to the place where his brothers hate him. Like they don't dislike him, they actually hate him. And so one day Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, he sees, he sees sheaves bowing down to him, 10 sheaves bowing down to him. And he comes out of his bedroom and he tells his 10 brothers, had a dream about you guys last night. Yep, had some sheaves bowing down to me, 10 of them. And uh, the Lord told me that you guys are going to bow down to me. And uh, that, let me just say that that was not his finest hour. And his brothers, it said, and his brothers hated him even the more. The next night, he has another dream. And in this dream, he sees the sun and the moon bowing down to him. And he comes out and he tells his mom and dad, I had a dream last night about y'all. And uh, the sun and the moon were bowing down to me. And his dad said, to him, are we going to bow down to you? And they took it a little bit better than the brothers, but not a lot. And let me just say that Joseph was a dreamer from the time he was a little child. And he knew that he was called to be a great leader. But how many of you know between the promise and the palace is also always the process? And how many know that oftentimes we get to choose the process? And I propose that Joseph's arrogance created a process for him. And so Joseph's brothers hate him so much that they actually, just, they actually devised a plan to kill him. And they had him out in the field and they thought, and, and Reuben, the oldest brother said, well, let's not kill him. Let's make a profit on him. So they sold him into slavery. And he literally gets sold in, 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 into slavery in Egypt. And so the slave traders sell him to Potiphar, who's one of the commanders of Pharaoh's, Egyptian Pharaoh's army. And he gets sold into Potiphar's house. And the Bible says that the favor of the Lord was on Joseph. In fact, it was so on Joseph that Potiphar, who didn't know God, could see it. And in fact, we would say it this way in America. We'd say that everything Joseph touched turned to gold. And God makes this, has this commentary on Joseph. God says of Joseph, and Joseph was a successful man. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in, sold into slavery, no one is out, none of my friends think I'm successful. I, I, I'm speaking to you right now. You may not look successful, but if you are faithful, God says you're successful. And Joseph was so faithful to God, and there was, he attracted so much favor from God that literally Potiphar put him in charge, his slave, put him in charge of everything in his house. But Potiphar's wife did not read the Moral Revolution book. <laughs> she did not have a purity plan. And she had the hots for Joe. And she tried to rape Joseph. And when Joseph escaped, 
she screamed to her husband that Joseph had tried to rape her. And consequently, he believed his wife instead of his slave. And Joseph goes to prison. But he doesn't go to just any prison. He goes to the king's prison where they keep the white-collar prisoners. And Joseph, the Bible says, and the favor of the Lord was on Joseph. And he became a successful man in prison. I don't know if you're following this yet. I don't know what circumstances you're in, but you might be successful when your friends don't think you are. And in a very short time, the governor of the prison puts Joe, the prisoner, in charge of the entire prison. And the Bible goes on to say the prison prospered because of Joe. And then the king throws two of his right-hand people into prison, a baker and a cupbearer, and Joseph, and, and, the, and they both have a dream one night, and Joseph interprets the dream for the cupbearer to say, the king's going to restore you into his service. I think like tomorrow or something. And that day, the very day that Joseph predicted, the king calls for the cupbearer and restores him to service. And Joe, Joe says to the, to the cupbearer, hey, when you, when you get out of prison, remember me when you get into your kingdom. But he doesn't. And so the story goes on that the cupbearer is serving the king, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh gets all the wise men, all the magicians, he gets everyone he can think of that has any spiritual insight. He tells them the dream and no one can interpret the dream. And at the end of that journey, the cupbearer remembers, oh, I had a dream. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I had a dream. And there's a guy in prison who interpreted my dream. You should get him to interpret your dream. So the king calls for Joseph. And here's where we pick up. It's chapter 41, if you're reading along with me. Verse 14, and we will read quite a bit. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurried and brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph then answered Pharaoh and said, it's not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph in my dream. Behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. Behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile and they grazed in the marshland. And lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt such as I had never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. (laughs) Don't make a comment, Chris, keep going. And then, and lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected they had devoured them, for they are just as ugly as before. Then I woke, and I saw also in my dream, behold, seven ears full of good I'm sorry, seven ears full and good came up on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears withered and thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. Then I, then I told it to the magicians and they were unable to explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Joseph's dreams are one and the same. God has told, Joseph, God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows 
are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after the seven years and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. And it is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what, it is about, what he's about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine. And it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God. And God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise. Where can he find one person like that? And set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let them exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. And then let them gather all the food in those years that are coming and store up grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land of seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then the Pharaoh said to to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you about all this, and there is no one so discerning as you and as wise as you are, you shall be over my house And according to your command, all the people shall do homage only in throne will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee, bow the knee. And he set him before all of the land, over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. Verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food in of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in cities and he placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. Verse 53, when the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come just as Joseph has said, then there was a famine in all the lands But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine spread all over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all of Egypt. Um, I want to tell you just a, another part of the story is that the brothers who sold him into, into slavery had to come to Egypt not knowing that Joseph was a ruler in Egypt. They came into Egypt to get food because there was no food in any of the land that they lived in. 
And Joseph's 10, uh, 10 brothers came to Egypt. There was an 11th brother now, Benjamin was born. They came into Egypt and Joseph immediately recognized that his brothers had come into Egypt to get, to get food so that they would not starve. And it's a really long story, but the end of that, the end of that story is that Joseph reveals himself to his brothers on their third trip to Egypt to get food. And he says to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he says to them in chapter 45, which is several, a couple of years later, he says to him, now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is such a beautiful story because they sold him into slavery. They actually wanted to kill him. And yet Joseph had worked out his arrogance by the time 14 years had passed. By the time his brothers met Joseph, Joseph was a different man. Joseph had forgiven them long before they came into the land. His brothers, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, his brothers are terrified that he's going to treat them the way they treated him. Treated him. And he thought, they thought for sure that he was going to kill them. But Joseph said to, him, to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And by the way, if you hadn't have sold me into slavery, we would have all died. And then he says to them, I have become a father to Pharaoh. This is a beautiful story too. Uh, Joseph actually gets so excited about his brothers coming to Egypt to get food that he goes and tells Pharaoh, my father and my family is here. 72 of my family have come to Egypt to get food. And Pharaoh gets so excited that Joe's family have come that Pharaoh says, I want to meet your family. And Pharaoh comes in to his family. I think there was just his 11 brothers and his father, if I remember correctly. And he says, and Joseph's, and when Joseph uh, gets, when, when Pharaoh comes into the presence of Jacob, who comes Israel, he bows down to him and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh blesses Jacob. And Pharaoh says to Joe, your family can have the best of the land. And he gives them the city of Goshen, which like was the best city in Egypt. And he says, he said, Pharaoh says to Jacob, to Israel, you can have the best of the land. And he gives them the star capital city of Egypt to bring their families into. What a beautiful story. How many of you know that if Pharaoh didn't dream, Joseph would have died in prison. But if Joseph didn't dream, Pharaoh would have died in famine. There is... A powerful thing happening in the world. How many know God so loved the world? God doesn't love worldliness, but he loves the world. I want to point out that there are lessons that we are to learn from the life of Joseph. I believe that we are in a huge shift in our ministry. I believe that we are in a huge shift in our prophetic ministry. I believe that ministry, prophetic ministry, isn't just about encouraging people. I believe that the Lord is given us remedies so that we can steward the seasons of abundance in a way 
that gives us opportunity in seasons of famine. I wrote some things down. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream with his ability to access wisdom, to navigate seven years of blessing, followed by seven years of extreme famine. And he set Egypt up to resource the world. Joseph's ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream and then use his futuristic insights to develop a stewardship strategy to resource the highs and lows of their extremely volatile our agricultural economy was critical for their survival. Yet, not only did Egypt survive, they thrived as a nation. Those 14 years of divine stewardship created so much wealth for the fallen generations because they were wise in their years of abundance. Vision isn't just about building great ministries or establishing a noble city. It's about understanding how to steward the epoch seasons of life in a way that resource the world when it's in crisis. And I want to tell you that I feel so strongly that the Lord is giving us an upgrade in prophetic ministry and in prophetic culture. I believe that what we've been pr promoting for many years, actually decades, Isaiah 60, that you will rise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For deep darkness covers the earth, deep darkness of people, but the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. How many of you know that you can't, if you don't steward the years of abundance, you won't have anything to give in the years of darkness? I'm pointing out that the Lord is teaching us how to steward our years of abundance. And by the way, how many have said or heard it said, well, those were the good old days. You know why they're the good old days? Because you look back when you're old and realize they were good, but you didn't realize they were good when you're in them because you were in them. I'd like to propose that even good old days have tough times. There are tough times in good old days. Are you with me? And I'm pointing out that we have to realize that we are in years of abundance. Now, there may be some exceptions in here. You know, I said I'm making a broad statement. There are people struggling in here. But I'd like to propose that these, as a fellow ship, that we're on a ship of abundance. And that that ship, the, the commentary of that ship, is not known by the media or by the world. The media may say they're in prison. The media may say they're in slavery. But the Lord says, no, there's an abundance on them. The, the Lord says, no, they are anointed with favor. And wherever they go, they prosper. And not only do they prosper themselves, but how many know the greatest sign of prosperity is not what happens to you, but what happens through you. I'd like to point out that when you're in Pharaoh's house, that Pharaoh's house prospers by having you in his house. When you work for McDonald's, you're not just making a living, you are making a difference. Yes. You're like, I hate this job. You should change your language because if God put you there, you are a successful person, whether you're making minimum wage or whether you own the freaking palace. <laughs> I know I'm right about this. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter two, verse one. Habakkuk says this, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and, I, and how I may reply when I'm reproved. Then the Lord answered and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. And though it tarries, Wait for it, for it certainly will come and will not delay. I love this verse. It's a very popular verse here. Many of, the, many of our team have preached this verse, so I want to get mine in there. 
Habakkuk has an encounter with God in which God goes, I'm going to give you a vision, but it's not for now. Now, this is my rendition. God says it's for an appointed time that those who read it may run. First of all, I'd like to point out that almost through most of the Bible, our relationship with God is described as a walk, our walk with the Lord. But Habakkuk sees a vision in which God says, when they read it, they will go from a walk and they will break out into a run. That those who read it shall run. And I would think that God is saying to Habakkuk, there's coming a time in which the people that you, are ha- that you have this vision for, you will not be able to speak this vision. You may not be there. Maybe it's another country. Maybe it's another time. Maybe you'll already be in heaven. But I want you to write this down because the people you're writing this for are not with you today. Maybe they're not alive today. Maybe they're not in your realm of authority today. But when they read it, they're going to go from a walk to a run. And I'm pointing out that we are stewarding things for a generation that maybe we'll never see. I wrote this about Isaiah 60. You can't rise in dark times if you haven't stewarded your resources well in years of abundance. Kings brought their wealth to Egypt because they needed to purchase the necessities of life to survive. Prophetic people need to become famous, not just for seeing the future, but but for living future present in a way that demonstrates the wisdom of God who loves people enough to provide for them in every season of life. It's interesting because last night I was just preparing, praying, thinking, preparing, all that you do to kind of share what God is kind of stimulating in your heart. And I was thinking about the early church, that they carried on the same spiritual legacy of seeing the future and navigating trying times with their resources. Agabus, this is Acts chapter 11. Agabus, who's probably the most famous New Testament prophet, comes down in verse 27. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine in over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. In proportion to that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. I I just want to point out that Agabus predicts a coming famine, and it's apparent that the church resourced them probably before the famine. Agabus sees a famine coming. Listen, he doesn't predict a famine because of their sin. He's not judging them. He's not saying, you guys sinned and God sent a famine. He's just saying, I see a famine. And the apostolic team at Antioch says, well, Agabus sees a famine. What should we do about that? And they said, well, we should resource the the churches and the cities that will be hardest hit by the famine. And they immediately take an offering, send it by the apostles to Judea, where the main church of Jerusalem is. It's the main church of, the main Jewish churches. And, And I'm pointing out that they pick up this idea that there's a prophetic knowing there's a prophetic scene into the future and yet they have stewarded it well their season of abundance and they say if Agabus says there's going to be a famine 
We should do something with the resources we have. And immediately they move in generosity. They move in resourcing the places that they think will be hardest hit by the famine. I I, want to propose that God is putting us in this place of an Antioch. I've said this many times, but the building we're building is not just... It's, it's not just a building, it's a prophetic declaration that there would be an apostolic center to actually see this, the world resourced, not just with money, but with prophets and prophetic people and apostolic people that can actually help the condition of the world as Joseph did, as Daniel did, as Esther did, as, as Agabus did, as the early church did in times of famine. Are you with me? In Hebrews chapter 11, well, I wrote this first of all, let me say this. Bethel's prophetic culture in our apostolic center has become a resource center like Antioch for the first century to guide the world through seasons of abundance. I see think tanks. I saw this yesterday morning. I see think tanks rising up around the world. I see SQ being taught in the Pentagon. Oh, sorry, let me go back. I see prophetic think tanks rising up all around the world. I see SQ being taught in the Pentagon and the kings of the earth coming to learn the wisdom of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things visible. Uh, we, We learn this. We understand By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what was seen was not made of things visible. This is that prophetic uh, dimension where we're not talking about foresight, like I'm telling you the future. We're talking about fourth sight. We're talking about, we're talking about, the, we're talking about the foretelling nature of God. We're not just telling you the future, we're causing the future. The foretelling nature of God. Are you with me? Where you know, Ezekiel's bone, where Ezekiel is prophesying to the bones and the bones come to life. I'm saying, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says that we learn that the worlds that we see were actually made by things that are unseen. God, who sees in the unseen, he spoke them into the existence. He was, words became worlds. He was creating the world with words. Are you with me? And, and, and I believe that God is moving us into the season of vision. Proverbs 29, 18, we've read these so many times. Where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. New King James says, where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law is happy. When we imagine something in our mind's eye, a phenomenon occurs in the spirit that causes us to want to see with our natural eyes what we perceive in our hearts. Michelangelo said it this way, I saw the angel in the marble, and I've carved to set it free. Michael looked at the boulder in his natural eye, and with his imagination, he pictured an angel imprisoned in the stone. This motivated him to relentlessly chip away at the rock until he can view on the outside what he imagined on the inside. I believe Walt Disney called his leaders imagineers. (laughs) I believe we are the real Imagineers. I believe we were made in his image and his like what God imagined you became. And I, I believe that God is raising up Imagineers. Shush, this is a good word, actually. When people envision something, especially from God, it creates a natural, kind of supernatural impetus to 
apprehend the vision and see it fulfilled, built, or funded. When people lack vision, they lead unrestrained lives, where the goal of living becomes staying out of pain or trying to find pleasure. But when we catch a vision, when they catch a vision, when we catch a vision, they keep the law. In other words, they restrain their options to apprehend the vision. I want to point out that God has called us to a season of vision. I believe that when everybody else sees stones of offense, rocks of treachery, that we see angels in the stone. I'm pointing out that you cannot get the commentary for your life from media, from the outside world, because they have no idea what's happening in the stone. When they see a stone and offense, God often sees an angel. When they see an impossibility, God often is the one who shows up with divine power, the love of God, and vision to actually find a way where there's no way. When they see a sea, God sees dry land. Are you with me? When they see no water, God sees rock water from a rock. I'm just pointing out that if you get your commentary about how you're doing from what you hear on Fox News, CNN, or whatever your favorite commentary is, it has nothing, nothing to do with what's happening in your world. <laughs> no, much better than your response, but it, it's okay. <laughs> Without a vision, God's holy intentions lay buried in disempowered spirits, disembodied spirits, words that never become flesh, righteous purposes imprisoned in mindless souls who refuse to dream with their creator. Instead, bury their talents in the hard soil of comfort and complacency. I'm going to read that one more time. Without a vision, God's holy intentions lay buried in disembodied spirits, words that never become flesh, righteous purposes imprisoned in mindless souls who's refu who refuse to dream with their creator and instead bury their talents in the hard soil of comfort and complacency. Like, we have to dream not just for us, but for Pharaoh. Can I say that we have a partner with Pharaoh? People are like, don't love the world. Jesus loved the world. Jesus did not love worldliness, but he came to save the world. He died on the cross because he came to bring provision to the world that was in sin, that was in bondage, that was actually a slave to, to the devil. And the Lord said, I can take care of that. I can resource this. I'm pointing out that we should not love worldliness, but we better love the world. I'd like to point out that we have a dream. And the world has a dream. Can I say that we are partners in destiny? There's something happening right now where the Lord is bringing the kings of the earth. And they're not just bringing the kings of the earth because we sing good songs or because we have a happy meal. But he's bringing, they're bringing the kings of the earth because they are desperate, because they are in a famine, because we have stewarded our abundance well. When I say abundance, I'm not talking about just money. Maybe it's money, but I, I'm actually not talking about money. I mean, we have stewarded our dark times and we have stewarded our times of abundance well in that we have made a deep connection with the creator of the world. We know that he can do the impossible and he likely will. When I say stewarding abundance, I'm talking about the abundance of the glory of God. I'm talking about the abundance of his nature. I'm talking about his overwhelming love, that he loves us so much that we can't even comprehend how much he loves us. That when, we, when darkness happens, we're still glowing because we have 
stewarded our times of abundance with God well. That we are not, as Ruth pointed out in the offering today, that we are not looking to our finances to determine whether I can pay my bills. Of course we should be good stewards of the things he gives us. Of course we should not use this as a way to be, you know, to, to, to be, uh, not be frugal or not be a good steward. But I'm pointing out that I am not looking for my, to myself for my provision. I'm looking to God for my provision. I'm looking for, to God for the provision for this movement, for this church. And we have some very challenging times in front of us. We got a hundred million dollar building to build. I don't know about you, but I couldn't fund that if I sold everything. I probably couldn't fund the golden door. We're not having a golden door. I thought that was funny. (laughs) I'm just pointing out that God always calls you to something you can't do. (laughs) The consultants, the counselors who are all great, we should have those. They're all saying that's too big. I don't think you can finish it. But God says, no, no, you have me. I don't know what you're going through, but I have a whole bunch of things in my life that are impossible. I wish the building was the only one. I wish the building was the hardest one. But I don't look. I'm not looking. Well, let me put it this way. When I look at what I'm doing, I'm like, I'm a worm. Like, what are we doing here? And the Lord's like, I have called you something. I thought you believed in miracles. I'm like, for other people. (laughs) Don't you want to be a miracle worker? I do for other people. And the Lord's like, I'm with you. Lord, what are we going to do about this? How are you going to fund this? How are we going to do this? I am with you. I understand that. (laughs) Give me a logical answer that puts my mind to ease. Valentin, look at me. Yes, Lord. I am with you. How are you going to pay for this is what I'm asking. You're laughing because you do the same, right? (laughs) Let me reassure you. Okay, I am with you. Okay, I'll call PG&E and let them know. I hope there's a feral there because that's the only person it's going to make sense to. P.K. Bernard said, a man without a vision is a man without a future, and a man without a future will always return to his past. We have a whole world returning to the pit of their past because they have no vision. This is the role we play in the earth. We are imagineers. We are Holy Spirit imagineers. We are visionaries. We have the mind of Christ. We have a God who does the impossible. Actually, he specializes in it. Actually, I notice he waits till it's impossible. You're like... God wouldn't let my bills be late. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good point. I want to pray for you. Why don't you stand? If you're in this room or you're on our online campus and you don't know the Lord, this is a fantastic opportunity. A fantastic opportunity. What a great day to find the Lord. Or maybe you've wandered away, like some of us have at times. And you're like, I'm back. And I just want to remind you that Jesus, he died to free you from your sin. By the way, sin means that you did wrong on purpose. 
Because some people are like, well, I know he freed me from my mistakes. No, no, he didn't die for your mistakes. He only died for the things you did wrong on purpose. And he wants to free you from shame. And he loves you as a good, good father. If you're in the room this morning, would you just raise your hand if that's you and say, yes, I'd like to receive Christ. I'd like to get rid of this chain around my neck and find freedom. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody in here who's raising their hand? So good. So good. So good. Uh, yeah, I saw the Lord just bring a complete healing and restoration to you. And uh, also the restoration of relationships and the restoration of joy. And I saw you laying on your bed tonight laughing hysterically. And I pray for the Lord to release hysterical joy on you. It would be so hysterical that you would be like, I feel like I'm drunk, but I haven't drank. And I just release that on you in Jesus' name. I pray for the joy of the Lord to be your strength. I pray that you would experience a joy you've never experienced before. And that would, uh, it would um, supercharge your next year in relationship with God. So I bless you. Love for you to come up here and let someone pray for you if you don't mind. I got a couple folks that would love to pray for you. If you're online and you're, uh, and you're receiving the Lord, just put your, you know, put your uh, electronic hand up right there and just write in the chat. I'd love to receive the Lord. And someone will just jump in on the chat room with you and, and pray for you and work with you. Let me just pray for you all now. Is that all right? So Lord, I just pray that the visions of Joseph, the dreams of Daniel, I pray, God, that the power of the prophetic ministry of Agabus would be on this house, Jesus. I thank you that you have so blessed this house with so many talents, and I pray that we could resource the world in their times of famine, their times of darkness, their times of depression. I bless this day as a day that you truly made. These are the good old days. Amen. God bless. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.